So this morning I want to jump in real quickly. I've been doing this series called Audacious. Audacious literally means, so the word audacity means that your life is characterized by a willingness to take bold risks. Everybody say, be willing to take bold risks. Proverbs 28.1 says, the righteous are bold as a lion. It says previous to that, right there in the first part of that verse, the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. How many of you know lions are pretty bold? They're, not, they're, they're fearless. They're referred to as the king of the jungle, and it's because of their, their ferocity. It's because of the fact that there is no other prey uh, there, there is nothing, there's not another animal in the food chain that preys on that lion. It is the king of the beasts. And in the same way, we know that Jesus Christ in the scripture has been likened to, the, he's been called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, and since you're made in his image, we are supposed to have that same kind of bold ferocity that's been sanctified in God. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Amen. God, God's not, it's, it's, it's none of this holding back mess. It's, it's, it's none of this, yes, exactly. Greg had it so right this morning by choosing this song. You can stand me up at the gates of hell and I won't, what? Back down. I mean, Tom Petty didn't know he was prophesying when he wrote that song years ago. See, there's some really good stuff out there. You just, we just have to redeem it and just, you know, just put a little bit of a gospel spin on it because there's truth. All truth is God's truth. This morning as we look to the Word, we've, we've done two messages already, Audacious Courage. Last week we did Audacious Faith, and I just want to jump right in this morning in, into Audacious Love. Audacious Love. How many of you know we need some love? The Bible says, first of all, three things that the Bible says God is. Who knows what the Scripture says God is? God is, number one, that's what we're talking about today. Everybody say God is love. Second one is God is what? Light. Everybody say Light. And then God is spirit. Three characteristics that define who God is. God is love, God is light, God is spirit. And this one I think is so critical but it's because it's the one that demonstrates to the world who we are. The Bible says in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one, what? To another. And it's not just an affection or a feeling, but love is a verb. It's an action. It is demonstrable. It is something that characterizes our life. It is not merely an action, but it is also a disposition. It is something that we walk out of. Uh, there, there'll probably be a little bit of a spillover. Uh, I talked to Alex last night. He said, man, did you stay for the whole thing? I said, dude, I'm going to tell you, I couldn't get away. Beth Moore is such a rocking preacher of the gospel I said, Ian, I, you're probably going to hear a little bit of law of kindness sort of spill over this morning because I got full with all the rest of our ladies and these sisters yesterday morning because that woman is an anointed woman of God. I had no problem looking beyond the pretty outside. You know, some guys are all hung up on if it's not a guy talking to them, they don't feel like they ought to listen to them. Let me tell you something. It's not about the, the gender of the vessel. It is whether or not the voice of Christ is speaking through that vessel. Come on, somebody. Because in Christ, there's neither male nor female. And so this morning, we're going to use Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. This is my text. I'm going to ask you one more time, if you'd just stand with me today. Let's read this together. I know you've already gotten comfortable in your spot. Jesus answered a question where the Pharisees had come to him, quizzing him about what was the greatest commandment. 
And this was his answer. Read it out loud with me, please. Jesus answered, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Father, we thank you for the word of the living God. As we come before you this morning, we bow our hearts and we ask you, O Lord, today to speak to us in the name of Jesus. I submit my mind and my thoughts, Lord, and the words of my mouth. Lord, you know that I've been before you this week. I've cried out to you. I've asked you for a word that's fresh to deliver to your people, and I submit today, I ask you to move through me everything that has been brought to the altar to sacrifice, to lay before you in praise. I just ask you, O God, to stir up the pure mind by way of remembrance, even as the Apostle Peter said. Thank you that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the people of God may be completely equipped and thoroughly furnished for every good work. We commit this word to you in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. This is referred to as the great commandment. The great commandment goes very much along with and fits sort of hand in glove with another great in the scripture. How many of you know what that might be? What's the the mission that Jesus gave us is referred to as the great what? The Great Commission. You know, I, I, I flip on Christian TV these days, and it just seems to me that there is so much attention being paid to setting the date of the Great Tribulation. And I wonder sometimes if we would put as much energy into living the Great Commandment and doing the Great Commission, we could see the world changed in one generation. How many of you know God, only God knows the time of if there is a future great tribulation in the first place. How many of you hear what I'm saying? Our focus should be on living the great commandment and doing the great commission. Great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission basically appears at the end of every one of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then is restated again in the opening of the book of Acts. So five times we see some kind of ascending, some, ti- some kind of a commissioning of the church, literally, as you are going into the world. It, it, it appears in the Greek in such a way as to say that as you were going about conducting your business, occupying until he comes, a, a, as you were buying and selling and trading and doing all the things that you do, educating and teaching and, and doctoring and nursing and, and law enforcing and, and, and discipling and all of these things that we do, we should be about the business as we are going into the world. Now, the reason that I emphasize that is because in so many circles, we've sort of gotten the the attitude that this is only for a very special elite kind of an NFL group of the kingdom of God. This is for the missionaries. This is for the the, uh, five-fold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. We sort of get the idea that this is really for the hired guys. This is for the pastors of our local churches that are supposed to be discipling nations. How many of you know you are a believer? If you're a believer, you're called to be a disciple. If you're a disciple, you are called to carry out the Great Commission. That is your job. I'm going to be very honest with you. It is really more your job than it is mine. 
My job, according to Scripture, is to equip you so that you can carry out your job. We can liken the, the biblical office of pastor probably more so to a, the, the idea of a football coach. The football coach doesn't get out there on the field and run the plays. He coaches and he plugs in each and every one of the players into their specific locations, their, their, their particular places so that they can express their greatest gifts so that they can help the team carry the ball down the field, get it across the goal line, and offensively win the game. I'm looking at the team. Hello, team. Say, hey, coach. One more time. Hello, team. That's it right there. This is not about, well, we pay him to do it. No, listen, you tell me what we pay you. You want you, we pay me to do? You pay me. You give to the Lord, and, 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 and the Lord blesses this place so I can be about the business of helping you get plugged in where you can serve, and everybody ought to be serving. I believe the prophet Bob Dylan said this way, everybody going to serve somebody. <laughs> so everybody, you ought to be on some kind of serve team. Whether you wear a V-team shirt or not, you ought to be serving somewhere in the kingdom of God. Rick Warren said it this way, a great church is made by a great commitment to the great commandment and to the great commission. I want victory to be, not, not to advance my name. My, let me tell you something. If it was about advancing my name or how much I got paid, I wouldn't have, I'd have left here a long time ago. I'm not in this for fame. I'm not in it for the money. Because there's a lot of other places around the world where I could have gotten all of that a whole lot quicker rather than staying in the Delta. But God's put a dream in my heart to see the Delta pull down the strongholds of poverty and mediocrity and ignorance and racism and all of the junk that still tries to hang around in this place. All, all, of the, the Christian, uh, uh, all of the Christian prejudice that's here, all of the denominational prejudice that is here that exists in this place, I am so thankful that, that we, we drove a wedge deeper into that devil's head yesterday when I told them, we prayed the prayer at the end of the service, and I said, Lord, help us as we stand in this place. We're going back to our churches tomorrow. Thank you, God, for our Baptist churches and our Presbyterian and our Pentecostal and our Church of Christ churches where we're going to stand and worship in the different ways that we're going to worship tomorrow at the 11 o'clock hour. But, oh, God, don't let us get disconnected from what happened in this moment here all day on Saturday that we as the body of Christ were united together. There is something that can happen when we begin to reach out into a kind of unity that basically is willing to put all of the peripheral things on the side and is willing to stand up and cheer for the vast majority of the huge body of truth that we agree on as Christians. and not It's all about the spine issues and not the little rib issues that really are the critical ones. A great church is made by a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. I really believe that gives us an indicator right there to see how well we're loving God by how well we're loving our neighbors. I believe it was the, the epistle of John, the apostle, who said it this way. If you don't love your brother, then you can't say that you love God. It's, it's real easy to unidentifiably, immeasurably reach 
to the vertical bar of the cross and reach to God and say, God, I love you. I love you so very much. But, you know, that doesn't complete the cross. It is, it is when I get on the cross that God has given me, when I take up my cross and I stretch my hands out on the horizontal bar because I have to reach out, not just reach up to God, but I have to reach out to my brothers and sisters and demonstrate to them it's not just upward love to God, but it's outward love to each and every one of you. That means I have to be eager to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. It means I have to make a decision. It's, it's, it means it's the glory of God to be willing to cover an offense when somebody just ticks me off. I know nobody else in the room ever gets like that. Don't, don't even look at me in that kind of tone of voice because I, I know that I'm in a room with some real folk. Let me tell you, victory is a real place that is the perfect church for imperfect people. I have to go before the Lord on a regular basis, and I learned yesterday that I need some more kindness. And I heard it from a little 105-pound woman jumping up and down screaming. It was amazing. I just believe as we look at this, there are four things I want to give you very quickly this morning. Four points. The first one. The first one is all about the heart. And I want to call this audacious compassion. Everybody say, audacious compassion. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everybody say heart. The Greek word here is cardia. Very, very appropriately so. That's where we get our English word cardiology. Cardiology is the study specifically of the heart muscle. Now, I, I believe that when we're talking about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart here, it's not talking about the blood pump in the middle of your chest. The Bible uses the word heart, and it literally is using it to, to speak of the source or the center out of which everything else flows. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I have a lot of scripture. I'm going to quote. It's not in the notes, but it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Another translation says, guard your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. How many of you know if you put garbage in, it's like a computer, what's going to come out? So we have to guard what comes into our heart. We have to be very careful about the things that we allow to come through all of the gates, the eye gates that we see through, the ear gates that we hear through, the things that people want to repeat, those titillating facts of gossip. All those different things that people want to bring to you to bash somebody. That's when you have to make a decision. You know, you want to go, no, 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 I'm not even, not even going to be party to that. Let, let, let's, let's, let's grow up and quit acting like junior high school cheerleaders. And, and let's go to the person we're offended. Let's do a Matthew 18. Let's really, honest to God, believe what Jesus said we ought to do. You can say amen anytime you want to. I know I'm preaching real good right here. <laughs> compassion. What, what is this Compassion. It, it, it comes from the Greek word pathos. Pathos. It, it means deep feeling, deep-seated feeling. It, we're talking about having a heart, loving God, and not just loving upwardly to God, but loving others outside of ourselves, reaching to those. Sometimes God will deliberately put some EGRs into your life. EGRs, those are the people that, in order to even be around them, it's extra grace required. Nobody in the room like that. I'm present company excluded. We're talking about folks out in, the, out in the world. EGRs, extra grace required. Let me tell you something. I, I want you to realize that even in this room this morning, with all the joy and all of the excitement and the energy that we're feeling in this place, there are people that are sitting next to you that are going through painful circumstances that nobody else except God 
knows about. We need in this place to have a deep well of compassion so that we can love and minister to sometimes the very painful circumstances that people are walking through. Rick Warren said it this way, the most common way Jesus comes into our lives is through a broken heart. I I just want to say this to you. As a group of disciples, we are a disciple-making church. Please, if you really have a heart to live the great commandment and do the great commission, be very aware of what's going on in the lives of the people that are in your network. The lady in the next cubicle, the man who comes on and takes the shift after you do and who drives the truck, the individual that has really been pretty joyful as you've gotten to know them at work, but all of a sudden you've seen in the last week or two just like a cloud of regret and remorse has come over him. I believe it's important that you pay attention to what's going on in the lives of the people around you because as you experience and feel and sense through compassion what's going on in their hearts, if you'll pour out some love and show some concern, I promise you God will show up and minister through you to them and set some lives free. You remember the story of Joseph, don't you? One of the key guys in the book of Genesis who went in one day from the pit of the prison all the way to the position of prime minister, being second in command under the Pharaoh in Egypt. And it was all because two years prior to that, there was a couple of the king's servants who landed down in the prison pit with Joseph, and he was hanging around them, and he just noticed. He said, why do you look so worried? Just ask a simple question. And you know what? If Joseph hadn't been paying attention to his circumstances and hadn't used the compassion of God that was already working in him, it was that very event by asking them what was happening that they began to share about a dream that they both had. And then it was out of that that God ignited the gift that was lying there resident but dormant in Joseph. And Joseph interpreted the dream. Now, it took two years for all of these events to come to pass But two years later, one of them gets restored to his place in serving the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a dream. How many of you know if Joseph hadn't been paying attention to the look on the dude's face that day, he would have never interpreted the dream? Had he never interpreted the dream, when Pharaoh had one and told the cupbearer about it, the cupbearer wouldn't have said, oh, wait. Two years ago, I was in prison, and there was a a godly man named Joseph who interpreted my dream, and because he did, and guess what? Pharaoh goes and gets Joseph. Joseph has to get on a clean shave and put on some new clothes, and he goes before the presence of the Pharaoh from the pit in one day, all because he took the time to pay attention to a sad face on a fellow brother. Are you hearing what I'm saying? People, everything is linked You may pay a little of attention to somebody that you really think is insignificant and that person may a year or two down the road be everything that has to do with your promotion. It may be everything that has to do with God bringing great blessing into your life because a year ago or two years ago you just cared enough to stop and say, man, are you okay? You, You look like you're really under a cloud today. That's exactly what Joseph did. Everybody say audacious compassion. See, I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm reading Francis Chan books, Chan's book again right now called Crazy Love, and it's just rocking my world. It's just challenging me on the, the place that we've gotten to in American Christianity. And, and Francis Chan says it this way. He says, a lukewarm Christian is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. 
Think about this. In so many churches this morning, people are just going through the motions. They are just doing what they do. I mean, even in charismatics, supposed to be spirit-filled, they're doing their charismatic calisthenics and just doing the motions, and they're hurting, and they're torn on the inside of their hearts and their lives because they're just playing games. And how many of you know God says, ain't no game playing in this thing called the kingdom? He's about folks that either hot or cold. When you read that passage in the book of Revelation, what does it say God will do to the lukewarm? The Greek word is violent. It is literally gagging, wrenching, spitting, spewing. I don't want to be in that place where God is trying to hock it up and trying to get rid of me. Come on, somebody. I know that's crass. But that's exactly the intensity with which that Greek word appears. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. That, that phrase, touched with the feeling. Everybody say that with me. Say, touched with the feeling. It's the Greek word, sumpatheo. Sumpatheo. How many of you, S-U-M-P-A-T-H-E-O. Can you see an English word there? Everybody say, Sympathy. Our high priest has sympathy. He, he, he can feel. There, there are sympathetic feelings. He hung on the cross and, and he actually encountered the, 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 the penalty and the punishment for the sin of the whole world, for every sickness, for every disease, for every affliction. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of your peace. Some of you are in a place of mental anguish right now and Jesus had a crown of thorns mashed down into the skin over his skull. And his peace is yours now because of that. By his stripes, we are healed. I just want to ask you a question. To have a real biblical compassion, Craig Groeschel said it this way, pastor hero of mine. He said, does your heart break for the things that break the heart of God? Does your heart break for the things that break the heart of God? When you see injustice and you see dire poverty and you see people that are hurting and that have been mistreated. We were sitting down as a family last night and on the Hallmark Channel, guys, just don't take my man card away from me. (laughs) I'm sorry. We were watching Drew Barrymore in Ever After. Is the, the, the remake Cinderella story. And man, I had the best time hating Angelica Houston for a few minutes. That evil stepmother. And what was so amazing that in the middle of that whole movie, and it's just a Cinderella remake, was that Drew Barrymore did an amazing job showing kindness and forgiveness. She just wanted that stepmother to love her. And basically at one point looked at her, and I'm sitting there going, I, I shouldn't even be feeling this. I... I, I I need to call my brothers and go back to Spring River. (laughs) How many of you know we got to have some compassion? We have to walk in some forgiveness. Does your heart break for the things that break the heart of God? When I see somebody mistreat somebody else, when I, I remember growing up in school and because I had some ridicule, because I was on the brunt end of some of that, because kids are just cruel. Just the stuff they do and the things they say and and the whole huge popularity contest that every one of these amazing youth over here, I'm so excited you guys are sitting together and you're going to give me some energy. You are my amen section. Are you going to help the pastor this morning? Come on, I need your energy. 
all the stuff that you guys face, I'm going to tell you something. God will honor you if you will be nice to the ones that nobody else will be nice to. I want to tell you something. This is what God said to me a long time ago. If you will love the ones nobody else wants, I will give you the ones everybody else wants. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to love the unlovely. We're supposed to love those. And in so many churches this morning, people are coming into places. I want to tell you something. I want to see the, the, the person come in here who is still not quite completely delivered from their drug addiction, and this church can love them through it. I, I want to see the young lady come in here who's made an, a, a, a genuine, original confession of Christ just in the last two or three days, and, and maybe her dress hasn't gotten sanctified yet, and we're not going to look at her a hard way, but we're going to love on her, and the ladies are going to surround her and give her some compassion and some love. Come on, somebody. Not throwing stones this morning, but I want to tell you there are plenty of Pharisees and plenty of other churches around the city that make sure they post a guard at the door that don't let anybody come through that doesn't look like them and agree with them and vote like them and live in the part of town that they live in. How many of you know that's not the way we're going to do church at Victory? I'm spending too much time on my first point, but i got to get this thing and I'm going to move on. I want to ask you a question real quick. You want to know how... To find out what God's purpose for your life is, ask yourself three questions. What makes you mad? What makes you sad? And what makes you glad? Because that's what God has wired you. If something makes you mad in the culture, in the society that you see, I guarantee you God is working something inside of you to help bring change to that in the Delta. If something makes you sad, God may have wired you to bring about a ministry that will that will put some compassion into the hearts and lives of people that are broken in certain areas. Does your heart break for the things that break the heart of God? What makes you mad? What makes you sad? And finally, what makes you glad this morning? Because God wants to put you in something where your passion can flow out of some compassion and the blessing of God will follow you and chase you down. Young people, please... Don't get into some dead-end job just because some guidance counselor tells you this is what you might be good at. You find out what you love and you're passionate about and what you love to do. I want to see you get into a job that you cannot wait to get up the next morning to go to because you love it. And guess what? If you do what you're loving, prosperity will follow wherever your passion is being expressed. Come on, somebody. Number two this morning. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, audacious compassion. Secondly, love the Lord your God with all your soul. That is audacious wonder. Everybody say audacious wonder. I, Albert Einstein said it this way. He said, there are only two ways to live your life. One, as if nothing is a miracle, and the other, as if everything is. You know, I, I'm convinced sometimes that people really don't worship the grandeur, the majesty, the bigness of who God is because they have this little bitty minuscule vision, a little bitty tiny view of who they see God as. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I, I tweeted this this week because God was just stirring something way down deep on the inside of me. And I heard it this way. My determination is greater because my focus is sharper, because my faith is stronger, because my view of God is bigger than it's ever been before in my life. Everything is contingent upon how big you see God. 
Come on, he is, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. He's the God who put all of this existence in the universe and on the creation together. It amazes me. God himself stood back at the end of every creation day. The evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Have you ever noticed the strange order of that? You know, we in the West always think of the day beginning at dawn and the, the, the light when it comes, and then it goes up until midnight that night, but not in the Hebrew mindset, not in the Jewish mentality, not in the original creation, in the mind of God. The, first of all, the new day always begins in the dark. How many of you know when God calls you to do something new, you're going to have to step out into some darkness by faith? And what is so amazing is, is typically that's the time, literally on the 24-hour day, that's the time when you're resting. So literally when you're laying down to rest, God is already working on the new thing that is going to begin. When the light comes and when you wake up the next day, while you're resting, the, 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 the success of the day is already begun. It, 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 it's, it's solidified in the fact that you learn to rest in God because he is doing it for you and through you. The evening some of you got that. The evening and the morning were the first day. And at the end of every creation day, he stepped back and he said, it's good. And at the end of the last day, he, he, he looked and God basically was awed by his own work. He just basically kind of stood back, put his hands on his divine hips, and he said, mm, check this out. I, I'm pretty good. What did he say? Behold, it was what? Very good. Everybody say, Very good. God was awed by his own creation. Left brain logic cannot contain the wonder and the awe of a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Creation is ordered. I've got some pictures that I want you to look at. If you go ahead and click on those. Nothing renews and refreshes my spirit by going and sitting on the beach and looking at the vast ocean in front of me. When I, when I can go to the beach and sit there and I feel the wind and the breeze and I've got my, my, my don't, don't go too, too quick, stay right there, and I've got my, my toes in the sand, I think sometimes that in our finite understanding, we, we, we have an understanding about the size of a soda can and we're standing before an immeasurable body of water and that's like God and our understanding is like the soda can and we go down there to the beach and we dip the soda can into the ocean and we pick up that much of our understanding and we think we've got a handle on who God is. Everybody go, uh-uh. <laughs> it doesn't even begin to cut it. Last weekend we were at the river and when I can be in the place where there's some mountains and there's some trees and you see the amazing leaves and the, the colors of God that begin to come out in the fall. Do you know this God who created this thing, who, who, who wants us to step back and look at it and, 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 and just be amazed and awe and wonder, this is a God who put 3,000 different species of trees in one square mile of the Brazilian Amazon rainforest. You know... You think, man, this is just overdone. You know, I think a hundred would have probably really, really done the job. But, but, but God doesn't play. He, he, he's not about, you know, giving you the cheapest way, easiest way out. He's about perfecting something, that the, the beauty and the work of God that's going on in your life, the same way that he does that with intricate detail, he is consumed with intimately knowing what's going on in your soul and your heart right now this morning. 
And he's begun a good work and he's not going to, to, he's not going to quit until he finishes it. You know, we can explain away the sunrise and the, the sunset and we can talk about when it's going to by a computerized uh, uh, calendars. We can sit, set specifically two weeks from now when it's going to come up and when it's going to go down. But how many of you know that, 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 that left brain statistic is one thing, but it's something else to step back and see the amazing, beautiful colors that God paints the sky with, with oranges and pinks and purples and blues and all of those hues, and you just sit there and wonder and awe, and you go, God, you did that for me. Really, he did it for himself, for his own glory, but he did it so that we could enjoy his glory. Are, are you guys hearing what I'm saying this morning? Where, where is your wonder? Where is your audacious wonder? Do you, do you step back and ever look at things and see the amazing grandeur of God? Go ahead and click the next slide. I don't know if any of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon. You see the amazing colors, those hues that appear through all of those layers of rock that time, that God has been Lord over throughout the ages. And you, you realize that we're sitting here on a planet that is spinning on its axis at a thousand miles an hour and it does a 360 every 24 hours. Do you realize that if that axis were tilted only one degree in either direction, we would either be consumed in a burning furnace or we would freeze to death? One degree either way. God in his perfection, in his knowledge, in the complexity of this amazing design. Yes, we, I don't believe in this ridiculous idea of macroevolution. It takes more faith to believe that stupidity than it does that God, who is an intelligent designer, put this thing together and designed it for me and you to live and, and not just survive, but to thrive. Go ahead and click the next one. The beauty of the colors. God didn't spare anything by anointing the landscape with amazing hues and wonderful colors of flowers that not only delight your physical senses of sight, but give you also a fresh aroma, the beautiful smell of the rose. Ponder these things with me this morning just for a few minutes. Get lost in the bigness of the God who made all of this, and yet he sees one sparrow fall to the ground. Think about the hugeness of the fact that we live on this planet where now 7 billion people live, but it's one in the multitudes of planets in this, these multitudes of solar systems, all in one Milky Way galaxy, of which are a part of millions of other galaxies in a universe that is regularly growing at the rate of 186,000 miles per second. This thing is expanding. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And his intention is that his glory is going to fill every square inch, every cubic inch of the whole universe. Can I have an amen? amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. <laughs> Nothing refreshes my soul like meditating on the largeness of God, the wonder at his creation, and to worship at his presence. I think that we've lost some sense of real true reverence and worship for God when we can look at our children and we can despise. We don't see the beauty. Would you flip on that last? Just click through these gorgeous pictures. This is the newest Smith. This is William Shepard Smith. 
His mom had a heart attack last Monday. Stacy, some of you might not have known about that. Been a crazy week. She's doing great. She's doing awesome. You look at that beautiful little baby boy and you think, how is it that God can take the love of a husband and a wife and under the right conditions and nine months later, boom, out pops this little human being with fingers and toes and a mighty set of lungs that are going to preach the gospel one of these days. You can't look at that and not see a miracle. One of the most amazing things that I get to do as a pastor is that I, I get the joy of going to the hospital and seeing the baby's first thing. I mean, the day or either the day of or the day after they're born and get to hold them in my hands. And every time something comes up and a tear comes down my cheek and I go, thank you, oh God, that your hope for the world has not ended because you've just brought another one into this generation. The wonder, the amazing wonder of God's glory. There's no lack of the supernatural working in your life. You just need to have eyes to see it, saints. Elizabeth Barrett Browning said it this way, Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I love Elizabeth Barrett Browning, tremendous Christian woman gave us a picture there of how two people can see the same thing. They can see it filled with the glory and the grandeur and the presence of God and somebody else can just think it's an ordinary blackberry bush. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Love your children. Love your neighbors. Love God. See his wonder. Worship him in his presence. Stand in awe at the amazing creation in which he lets you live. You know what? We complain sometimes about the problems in the Delta, but it is so rich. The culture. The food. Mm, The music. I want to tell you, there's so many awesome things about living in the Mid-South. I I know it's a place that people don't particularly ever plan to land in, but I'm going to tell you, when you get here, I I believe that God wants to turn this thing around and make it to be known, as as Memphis is known as a distribution center for America, that this area will be known as a distribution center for the presence of God. Come on, somebody. I got to go fast. Number three, audacious curiosity. It's the glory of God to conceal things. It's the glory of kings to search things out. God likes to play hide and seek with you. It's the glory of God to hide things, to conceal them. The whole old covenant was a hidden picture of who Christ is and who, who the one who is coming When you are able to trust in God and you get saved and you put on some fresh eyes and you go back and read the Old Testament, you realize that every one of those types and shadows, those pictures, those symbols were a picture to the children of Israel of the Messiah who was to come. He he was that pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And he was the rock that followed them in the wilderness. And and I'm going to tell you, he was the son that Abraham laid on the altar and then raised him up resurrected. You start to see all over the place. Start to question. You have audacious curiosity. You begin to ask questions. Never, ever stop learning. Never stop asking questions. Curiosity is what draws us to the surface of the thing, into its substance. Did you know that the average person stops increasing his vocabulary when he's 25? The average person only reads about two books a year 
And folks, I'm going to tell you something. If God's going to raise us up to be leaders in the Delta, we're going to have to learn how to be readers, at least read the Word of God. Come on. Don't shout me down now. I'm telling you the truth. The average person reads two books a year. We are not called to be average. I I don't want to be crass, but I'm going to just tell you, there's one place that you spend some time every day. If you just put a book in your bathroom, if you just put a book in your bathroom, you can read a book a month just while you you can multitask, okay? Is this all right? I, I I mean, you know, you can be redeeming the time. You can be learning something. And, and, and some of you just going, I cannot believe he said that. Well, if, if, I'm, I'm trying, every service I try to offend the Pharisees. I, I want this room full of folks that are open to, the, to, to what God's wanting to do. Come on, somebody. <laughs> if you just put a book in the bathroom, you can read one a month. And that, 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 that literally magnifies, moves you out of the average, what the average man reads of two books a year. And it, it multiplies it by six. You could start reading 12 books a year. It's amazing how you can start to put some stuff in and start to learn. God did such an amazing work on the inside of me when I was 18. I could not put the Bible down. I read the New Testament through three times my first semester in college and read the whole Bible through that first year. I couldn't put it down. I'd, I'd get up and go. To, I'd get up early in the morning and I'd spend two hours before class. Some of you are going, "Ain't that ain't even right." I had 8 o'clock classes, and I would get up because I was so hungry. I wanted to get more of what the Word said. I couldn't put it down. I'd go to my classes, and I'd come back in the afternoon, spend the afternoon laying literally before the Lord, reading the Word, could not get enough of it. I put on 25 pounds that first semester because I spent so much time laying, and then I'd be in in the Word, and then I'd be napping, and then I'd I'd be going, man, this is expansion of the kingdom. Praise God. (laughs) I'll leave all that alone. You've got to get into the Word, folks. Everybody say, leaders are readers. Einstein said this. He said, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. Never lose a holy curiosity. You know what's amazing? You don't hear those kind of quotes about Einstein in our public schools. He said, never lose a holy curiosity. Isn't that amazing how he juxtapositions those two words, holy and curiosity? Typically, we think that when a kid finally grows up, they'll they'll kind of quell that curiosity a little bit. Let me tell you something. As a kingdom woman and a man of God, you need to keep your curiosity sharp. You need to be driven to continue to learn. Go back to school. Get you some more education. Keep your skills sharpened. Come on, somebody. We will pull down that demon of mediocrity over the delta because we are determined to do what we do with a spirit of excellence. I believe the church ought to be the most creative place on the planet. Why is it that among so many people we are suspicious of creativity? I believe that it's because it breeds change. And people don't like change. Change threatens the status quo. It's far easier to find something wrong with something new than it is to admit something is wrong with the old way we've been doing it for a hundred years. Are you hearing me? Faithfulness is not doing it the way it's always been done. Faithfulness is not holding the fort till he comes. Faithfulness is not defending the status quo. Faithfulness is the courage to incarnate the gospel in something fresh so that we can get the attention of the current generation so that Christianity will not die in the mouths of our children or our grandchildren. 
Faithfulness is playing offense for the kingdom, even if some Pharisees find it offensive. Man, this is some good stuff. Hallelujah. Number four, and I'm finished, finally. Audacious energy. The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's audacious compassion. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. That's audacious wonder. Never lose a sense of awe at the beauty and the grandeur and the bigness of God. God who works all things after the counsel of his own will. God who works things all together for your good because you love him and because you're the called according to his purpose. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul, with all of your mind. It's, it's just, it hurts me so many times that Christians just check their brain at the door sometimes in the name of having an experience. I'm all about experiencing God, but I want you to, I want you to keep your thinking caps on. I want you to, to be a thinker because our God is a thinker and he cared enough to record his thoughts so that you could grab hold of what he was thinking. You could learn to have your mind renewed. You could be transformed by the renewing of your mind by thinking the thoughts of God that he's recorded in the word for you to understand. As I finish this this morning, audacious energy, audacious strength. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart compassion, all of your soul, your wonder, all of your mind, your curiosity, and finally this morning, all of your strength. That's energy. That's, that's with my physical body. That's with everything that I do. I want to be excellent. I want to do it for the glory of God. So much of Southern churchianity is about the gospel of sin management. It's holiness by subtraction. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't hang with them because they do that. It's always a kind of a separatism. And it starts to breed and brood a kind of spiritual elitism. We start looking down our noses and we become Pharisees in less than 24 hours. We start judging. We start standing in a place of religious regulation and rule and legalism. Don't swear, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run with girls who do. I had to get your attention. I always learned it, boys who do you. That is such a tiny, little, stinking, legalistic, narrow focus. Righteousness is not about not doing the wrong things. You cannot do wrong things and still not do anything right. Righteous is about doing the right things that God has called you to do with all of your heart and all of your soul and all your mind and all your strength with compassion and with wonder and with curiosity and with energy. It just sickens me sometimes, the minimum daily requirement attitude that people have. How far can I push this line and still go to heaven? Does God still love me if I smoke this joint? Will God let me go to heaven if I have sex with my girlfriend before we get married? Well, I, I mean, is it okay? Can I get forgiveness? And so much of the time, we basically play this game, well, I'll just do it and ask. I, I won't ask for permission. I'll, I'll do it now, and then I'll ask for forgiveness later. And how many of you know our God is an awesome God who does forgive? And I am telling you, until we see his face, every one of us will be imperfect until that day when he finishes the work of perfecting us. So I am not undoing everything I've just preached about grace. I am not a legalist. I will love you with your junk, but I want to tell you God loves you so much right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. (laughs) 
Getting a ticket to heaven is just so very little about what the gospel is about. God wants to demonstrate his glory in your life and deal with your junk. And every one of us in the room have had some of it. And if we're truly honest, everybody in the room still has some kind of junk that you're working through. And my goodness, let's show some grace and mercy for our brothers and sisters in this house. I want to do away with that minimum daily requirement of what can I get by with. I want to ask the question, Jesus, I love you so much. What do you want me to do? Do a work in me, God. Call me to something so big that I've got to trust you. Help me get a vision of a God who is so huge that I can't even begin to fathom it in my little soda can-sized brain because I'm standing before an ocean and I see, God, you're so much bigger than I could ever even begin to dream. Act on your ideas. Everyone who's ever taken a shower has had an idea. It's the guy who gets out and dries off and does something about it that becomes successful. I believe that God wants to do what Proverbs 13 says, that the Spirit of the Holy Spirit creates witty inventions. Some of you are sitting in this room right now. You've got a situation at work, and you don't know how to fix it. And the father of our country said necessity is the mother of George Washington. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is the creative, witty one? He will give you some ideas. Come on, somebody in this room. Why didn't you, why didn't one of you come up with that stupid idea of putting a little bit of sticky on the back of a square piece of yellow paper? Why didn't you do that? We could have had this church built. Come on, post-it notes. How much IQ does one have to have to come up with that idea? There are ideas sitting in this room this morning. Act on your ideas. God wants to bless you not just to make you a multimillionaire. He wants to bless you to make a channel to bless the kingdom of God. I believe that. If you can believe that, it'll start to happen in your life. I dare you to do it. It'll make the Pharisees mad. It'll give the critics something to put on Facebook in the morning. Listen to this, Teddy Roosevelt. Forget about the critics. Quit, just don't even pay any attention to what anybody says. Critics, listen. Teddy Roosevelt said, It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or, who, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. I would rather you miss it and then I have to come pick you up and prop you up because you tried and failed than sitting there never doing anything and not stepping out on the audacious faith that God has called you to live with. This whole thing's about love this morning. Loving with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength. If I speak in the tongues of men and not of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. 
It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. What I'm talking to you this morning as I finish this message isn't just theory, it's reality. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The manger is worn. The cross is bloody. (laughs) The tomb is empty. The throne is occupied. And the kingdom of God is advancing. I want you to bow your heads with me, please, this morning. God is inviting you. When I say you, I'm speaking every singular one of you individually. He is inviting you to something that is so big and so grand and so majestic that you have to be audacious just to consider it and to even to begin to think about it. This morning, I want to tell you as I close this message, God wants you on his team. He made you for that. He created you for that. We're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. We regularly hear of the penalty of sin. We know the reality. I believe and preach the the truth. It's unfortunate, but it is a reality. It's called hell. You cannot live your whole life having been made by God for a purpose that would serve Him and glorify Him and waste it and then stand before Him, not knowing Him, not confessing His Son, not trusting, because none of us are good enough. God has a righteous standard that nobody in this room, I'll be the first to get in line and tell you that I cannot do it. I am not good enough. My sweet little 85-year-old mother cannot do it. Nobody. Jesus Christ came while we were yet sinners and he died for us. And the Bible gives us this very simple confession of faith. It says in Romans chapter 10, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Matter of fact, it throws out a blanket and says, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all you have to do right there. You don't have to understand everything that I preached this morning. It's not about having your theology right. It's about basically just obeying that one thing, saying, Jesus, save me. That's got to be the bottom line of your prayer. When you cry out this morning and you say, God, I need my life to change. Before you do that, you just got to say, Jesus, save me. Because it can't apart from that. But I want you to know this is something so much more and so much bigger than giving you fire insurance out of an eternal pit of hell. This is about redeeming you, 
for your life to show the glory of God right now for the most exciting life that you could ever live that you could ever even begin to imagine that you could pray and the God of heaven would hear you and move mountains in your life part C's